Welcome back to the Jake Beckett Show podcast. I'm your host, Jake Beckett, back in the house for another tremendous episode this week. It's been a busy week, and as I alluded to on the last podcast, I want to address a couple of topics that are mostly sports-related. Um, I, I guess the the overall uh, topic for this podcast is going to be the, the concept of market value in sports. Now, I, I talked a bit about the, the big Live Golf PGA Tour merger a couple of weeks ago. They just had a big Senate hearing. Um, last week in the U.S. Senate, there were a lot of interesting exchanges there between the senators and the uh, witnesses from the PGA Tour. Um, and I want to talk about that and, and obviously the, uh, the, the new revolution of money being injected into college sports. Uh, I'll touch a bit about the, uh, t- t- touch a bit on the, uh, the, the so-called wage gap between uh, male and female sports, uh, collegiate and professional. So let's just let's dive right into it. Obviously, this is uh, the British Open week. By the time this is posted, the British Open in golf should be completed. I always love getting up early and, and watching uh, the British Open coverage. Uh, it's it's always good to to see that course and the the test that um, is presented to those golfers there across the pond uh, this year at Royal Liverpool. Um, and, and so just to to go back to the Big Live Golf PGA Tour merger. If you missed that episode. Um, you know, I, I touched a bit on uh, just the, the history of, of professional golf, how the PGA Tour came into being, uh, and, and just the, the basic incentive structure of professional golf. And, you know, very generally, that, that, that thesis has proved to be correct, that, you know, there, there really was professional golf before Tiger Woods. There's professional golf with Tiger Woods. And now we're we're entering this new era of professional golf without Tiger Woods, and uh, you know as as uh, logic would suggest, uh, the money and the TV ratings and the corporate interest is simply reverting back to the way that professional golf was, the trajectory that it was on before Tiger Woods burst onto the scene in 1996, and you, you're you're seeing that play out, and, and really. What the, the subtext of this whole Live Golf PGA Tour merger, what no one is really talking about, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room, so to speak, is Tiger Woods not being there. Um, you know, because really when, when Tiger Woods is not playing a golf tournament, uh, unless that tournament is a major, there's not going to be a whole lot of interest in it. You know, you've got the four big majors, the Masters, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and the British Open. Um, the, the ratings and interest in those tournaments is always going to be strong just because of the history and, and the tradition involved uh, in those great tournaments. And then you've got the PGA Tour, and you've, you've got kind of the average run-of-the-mill tournaments like the Memorial and the Rocket Mortgage and you know, all, all these other tournaments that you know, really, unless Tiger Woods was playing in it, uh, there really was just kind of a, a, a baseline of interest uh, that really, it's it's really hard to break above or below that, uh, and that's where professional golf is. And really, what's what hasn't been discussed, uh, and of course, what the PGA Tour is is not gonna like really openly discuss, um, is that now that Tiger Woods is no longer really playing these run-of-the-mill PGA Tour events that often, maybe one or two a year if he's healthy, um, there, there's really not that much interest. And Really, the, the PGA Tour had built up this massive infrastructure around what Tiger, all the money that Tiger Woods had brought into professional golf. I mean, there's like 600 employees. 
uh, at PGA Tour headquarters in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, at, at TPC Sawgrass. You know, the commissioner, Jay Monahan, was making $15 million a year. You had these lavish purses, you know, millions of dollars per event, the FedEx Cup, paying these massive payouts uh, to professional golfers. You had all the the lower tours and the European tour and, um, you know, all these, you know, tournaments with 150 players. And, and that's not really a, a, the natural level of interest in golf because, you know, really golf had, you know, all the, those employees, the massive purses, you know, all these guys making a couple million dollars a year. That, that those guys were really all, everything was subsidized by Tiger Woods and a few top players. And what happened with these, you know, exhibition events like the match, um, you know, that, 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 you know, Tiger versus Phil and all the stuff that happened like during COVID with Tom Brady, all these events, what they really proved is that people that they want to watch the top players compete and they don't really care, you know, about the other 120 players who are in the field. And that's not right or wrong. That just is simply the reality of the situation. And, you know, the PGA tour was really on the ropes. Um, you know, that there were, uh, I, I'm confident that the PGA Tour was going to go through a massive downsizing um, if Live Golf and their money through the PIF, the Saudi Public Investment Fund, if that didn't suddenly arise. So this merger makes total sense for both parties. Um, the, the injection of, of billions of dollars from the Saudi PIF is going to allow the PGA Tour to continue doing what they've been doing uh, during the Tiger era, now that Tiger is gone. Uh, it's going to continue to allow them to fund these other events. It's going to continue to allow them to pay massive purses uh, for their top players. It's going to continue to allow them to subsidize all these other run-of-the-mill pros. Um, and, and it also benefits, obviously, the, the, the Saudis through the PIF. It allows them to have a seat at the table. Um, you, know, you saw in some of these documents that were released, um, you know, Yasser Arumayan, the, the, the CEO of the PIF, you know, he wanted... Uh, you know, he wanted a membership at Augusta National and the RNA. And, you know, he just he wanted to ingratiate the Saudis and the PIF uh, into these big Western sports empires like the PGA Tour, like Premier League Soccer, which they're already very much involved in, Formula One racing. So I, I think that's really what's happening here is um, it, it's just a, 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 a compromise uh, between two parties who have some mutual interests. The PGA Tour has an interest in money. And the Saudis and the PIF um, have interest in legitimacy and having a seat at the table. So that's what's happening there. Um, it's really not more complicated than that. It was really sad and, and sickening to see the PGA Tour kind of get away with, you know, all the propaganda, you know, using the 9-11 the families and trying to manipulate people into thinking that, um, you know, that this was some kind of a foreign invasion into pro sports. I mean, it, I guess that's partially true, but... Um, you know, it's, it's, it was really sad to see so many people in the golf media and even, you know, average golf fans kind of fall for that. Um, but, you know, that's, that's really in the past. Um, a lot of these corporate sponsors, I, I think, are going to, you know, continue to fall away from some of these run-of-the-mill PGA Tour events. I mean, you've seen AT&T drop out of the, uh, the Byron Nelson Championship in Dallas. It wouldn't surprise me to see FedEx drop out of the FedEx Cup because now the PGA Tour is going to be backstopped by the Saudi PIF, and we'll see how these things develop going forward. But, you know, it really, um, you know, the, the, the Senate hearing also gave us the opportunity to hear, you know, some more of these exchanges. Uh, there were a couple of U.S. senators who had some interesting questions. 
uh, and, and statements for the, these these PGA Tour witnesses who were testifying. Uh, and one of them caught my eye. It was from Senator Rand Paul, who, you know, I, look, anyone who knows me knows that I love Rand Paul. You know, I agree with maybe 95% of what he has to say. He's one of the very few actually good Republican U.S. senators. Um, but he made this statement, and I'm paraphrasing. Um, you know, he was he was just kind of going off on this tangent about money and sports, and he was saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm really upset to see uh, all this money go into collegiate sports, um, you know, and he, he made some kind of a comment about, you know, who wants to see uh, collegiate athletes rolling around in a Lamborghini or a Mercedes? And, you know, I just had to pump the brakes and say, you know, what, what a ludicrous statement that is. And, and I want to explain why that is so stupid. Uh, with all due respect to Senator Rand Paul, it, it, it's, it's ludicrous because... You know, what, what, what the NIL is, and that's the vehicle, uh, name, image, and likeness, these rules that the NCAA has adopted to allow uh, top players to receive endorsement money and, and you know, kind of above-board payments for their services, all that is, it's a response to market pressures. And, and, and let me explain those market pressures. So, you know, you've got, I mean, like college sports is a multi-billion dollar industry, okay? The, the SEC just signed a major deal with ESPN, um, you know, that's going to pay the conference, I think, something like $300 million a year, up from $55 million a year uh, from the prior deal with CBS. That money is obviously distributed to the universities um, and to all the, the apparatchiks and the bureaucracies that go along with these sports programs, and they heavily subsidize uh, all these, these colleges and universities. I mean, anyone who's been down to Tuscaloosa, the University of Alabama, the University of Arkansas, I mean, you're seeing buildings go up left and right. I mean, these colleges, you know, it's, it, it's, it's growth that was not organic to these institutions of higher learning. I mean, you know, people want to go to these major, uh, you know, football and basketball programs because they're major football and basketball programs. I mean, you can get a, you can get a college level education easily online or, you know, just ordering books off Amazon, but people want to go for the, they want to go for the social experience. They want to go, you know, for the sports experience in many ways. And, and, and what's not to love about it. I mean, look, I grew up a Razorback fan. I'm still a football fan. I love college sports. I love watching college sports. Um, but somehow people still can't get over that mental hurdle about, you know, student athletes being adequately compensated for their services, because as I just explained, you know, college sports, especially at the elite levels, is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and the only people who were not receiving their market value were the players. I mean, coaches make ten million dollars a year in some cases. I think Jimbo Fisher at A&M is making ten million a year. Saban at Alabama is in a similar. You know, these top SEC coaches are making you know close to eight figures a year. You know, over ten million dollars total compensation. So they're receiving their market value. The universities are receiving their market value. But the top players have never received their market value above board. So as we all know, back in the day, you know, a lot of players received uh, payments and, and gifts and, and things that were happening kind of under the table. You know, some were getting loans, um, you know, from agents while they were in school, you know, expecting to be repaid. Uh, after the players were able to capitalize on their services in the NFL, you know, Reggie Bush got caught up in a situation like that. And so really what the NIL is, it's allowing the top players to get what the market says they deserve. And this upsets a lot of people. And, you know, what, what really 
um, you know, stuck out about, you know, Senator Paul's statement is that that's what I hear from a lot of people. You know, a lot of otherwise conservative people, they had this mental block. You know, they believe in capitalism. They believe in people, uh, you know, receiving their, their full compensation, but they just can't get there when it comes to college athletes for some reason. And, um, you know, everyone wants to think that, you know, people are playing for love of the game and they're playing for their university. And I mean, look, I, I totally understand that. I mean, that's part of the reason why it was a lifelong dream of mine to play at the University of Arkansas, you know, to wear that Razorback on my helmet. I mean, just look over my shoulder, but you see a Razorback helmet there. It's still a huge part of my identity and, and I have a lot of pride in that. But, you know, I, I wasn't only playing for that. I was playing at least partially because I knew that if I played well, you know, I was going to receive a nice payday for my services, um, you know, when I turned professional. And I did. I, I was able to play for four years in the National Football League uh, with the Patriots. And, you know, I was, I was, you know, not paid an extraordinary amount of money, but I received market value for my services in professional football. And I, I'm really happy to see guys get that in college where they are also earning it. And, you know, that's to me like the, one of the best analogies um, that I like to, to share with people uh, about, you know, people getting compensated for their services in, in, in college sports. You know, imagine there is someone who is, um, you know, on academic scholarship at a, at a school. You know, they're, they're on academic scholarship. Um, you know, let's say they're, they're an English major. They're, they're on like some kind of an academic scholarship to study uh, American or English literature. Now, it, 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 imagine that person who's on academic scholarship wrote a great book, you know, authored the next great American novel. You know, is, would anyone really argue that that person on academic scholarship shouldn't be able to receive millions of dollars in book royalties if, if, that, if that book they just wrote is a massive hit? Well, of course not. They would say, yeah, that person wrote that book. They, they used their talents to produce something that has value in the marketplace, and they should absolutely be able to receive their market, uh, their market value for, for what their talents produced. It's exactly the same in college football. And some people would say, well, you know, um, for most student athletes, it's a really good deal just to have their tuition and their room and board and their books paid for. And that's absolutely correct. I mean, a lot of college athletes, they're receiving a very good deal um, just being there on scholarship and having that paid for, having the opportunity to receive a, a, a free education and be exposed to the, the network that you have. Um, at a major college or university, that's certainly true. But, you know, for the top, for the elite athletes, they're bringing more to the table. And, you know, how do I know that? Is because when the NIL was introduced, some of these guys are getting millions of dollars. They have leverage. And they're engaging in the great capitalist endeavor of price discovery, um, you know, through the, the transfer portal and, um, you know, the ability to, um, you know, uh, you know uh, offer their services as a recruit, or as a transfer to other universities, um, they're introducing competition into the marketplace. And what does competition do? It it drives the price for their services higher, and that's exactly what's happening. And you know, some other people say, well, you know, um, you, you know, I, I would do anything to to go out there and play college football. You know, I, I'm a fan. I would do anything to go out there and 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 you know, buckle a chin strap and play for the Hogs or for the Crimson Tide or whoever. Well, first of all, no, you wouldn't. I mean, I, I was around a lot of people who tried to walk on to the football team at the University of Arkansas. And, you know, these were fans who, who you know, maybe played high school football or, you know, wanted to experience what it was like to play college football. 
and I could tell you that like 90% of them didn't make it, uh, not be necessarily because it was too hard, um, you know, talent-wise, it was just too hard the, the grind of, of being a college football player, the hours that you had to put in, the toll um, that, that practicing and, and lifting and, and studying, uh, you know, put on your body and, 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 your, and, your, uh, and your intellectual uh, capacity in addition to, uh, you know, being a full-time student, you know, that was just a lot more than people could handle. Uh, and so it, it, was, it was always very interesting. It always, um, you know, kind of made me chuckle uh, to see people who, you know, walked onto the team for a couple of months and then just, just kind of unceremoniously quit the team because they were like, well, this is actually a lot harder than just running out uh, of the A on a Saturday afternoon in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You know, that's what the fans see. You know, they, they see the game and they see the pageantry and they think it's really easy. Um, actually, what you're seeing on the field is just a product of, you know, literally years of, of blood, sweat and tears um, and, and it's just kind of the cherry on top of, of all the uh, of all the work that was laid uh, as the foundation. So, um, you know, that's that's really my thoughts on on the NIL situation. I'm really thrilled to see these guys, um, you know, reach their full market potential. And, um, you know, some people say, uh, you know, I think probably the least persuasive or the most idiotic argument with all due respect, is people who say, well, you know, well, what about the locker room? You know, what what's going to happen if, you know, one guy's making $3 million or $5 million um, and some other guy is just on scholarship making nothing? Um, well, I mean, have you ever heard of the National Football League? Have you ever heard of the NFL uh, where, you know, I spent four years in a locker room. You know, I was making league minimum where, you know, the top players were making $10, 15000000 million per year. And I can tell you firsthand there was no bitterness there because everyone knew that that higher compensation was directly related to their value in the marketplace, either as a draft pick or as someone who had proven themselves in the league and gotten a second or a third contract. So, I mean, that argument is just that's made by people who have never spent time in a professional locker room who understand that there really is zero tension, um, you know, on the people's uh, varying levels of contracts. Uh, and, and the various different levels of money they're making, because ultimately, um, that's one of the great things about sports is, you know, in certain respects, it's the best example of a meritocracy, because, you know, if you want more money, uh, the only person to blame is the guy in the mirror. I mean, obviously, there's injuries and there's things that happen off the field. But generally, if you want to make more money, play better. And it's the same thing that happens in college sports. If you want more NIL money, if you want uh, you know, a more la if, if, if you want to drive in a Lamborghini, you want to drive in a Mercedes Benz, play better football, and uh, you'll have more leverage to extract more money uh, from sponsors and boosters through the NIL. So that's really uh, the best the best way that I can explain um, you know what's happening uh, in terms of market value uh, on on the golf front uh, in professional golf uh, and also in in collegiate sports and. You know, I, I think it's a really important thing because, you know, sports has such an important place in American culture. It always has. Uh, and I think it will for years to come because as as the media and our culture becomes more and more leftist, you know, people are going to look for, um, you know, those those true blue American values, so to speak, of, of meritocracy, of excellence, of elite uh, levels of performance. Um, and, and, you know, in, that's really being displayed in fewer and fewer endeavors. And one of the main exceptions is sports, because at the end of the day, um, you know, the, what really drives money and value in sports 
uh, is the audience, uh, whether that's in person in the stands or on TV. And people don't want to see mediocrity. People want to see excellence. Uh, and so what, we're, you know, what, what creates excellence? Uh, it's people uh, you know, who get weeded out, uh, people who, you know, the cream rising to the top, and those guys uh, being incentivized to get better because the money is there if you perform better. So uh, that, that's really, uh, you know, that's, that's my take on, on market value in sports, what that really means uh, in a couple of different contexts. I hope you enjoyed uh, my explanation on this subject, and I'm looking forward to coming back next week.